I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey. Today is an episode of You Asked For It. So these are questions that patrons have written in, and I'm going to answer them here for the benefit of everyone. All right. So the first question is for parents who are dating like you, Jamie, where's the line of when you introduce your significant other to your kids? Is it damaging if you do it too soon? Would your advice vary depending on the age of the child? And how do you create a smoother transition when you're a parent who's also dating? This is a interesting question. And there are kind of so many different tangents to this. So I am definitely of the mindset that you don't introduce somebody you're dating too soon. The major thing you have to remember is your child's going to get attached to this. And so much of it depends on your situation. If you're divorced, you know, your child's going to see this, like for me, being a woman, if you're divorced and say you're the mom, your child's going to see you dating as potential competition with dad. So that's that's sort of a different scenario. For me, you know, I've always been single, so there is no of that competition. On the other hand, like for me, of course, Pascal has asked, you know, where's my dad? I don't want him, you know, any potential person I was dating would become a father figure. So I feel I was very, very careful. He was only introduced to two people throughout his whole life because I was, I wanted to make sure it was a, it was a a long-term thing. And that takes a while to figure out. I think it also depends on your situation. Are you planning on melding families? Does the person you're dating have kids? So there's so many factors that go into it that it'd be really hard to say that there's a concrete answer. There's so many different situations. Again, just recognize that your child's going to, one of two scenarios, become crazy attached to this person and you know their family, their situation, or your child's going to severely rebel against this person because of being unhappy with the divorce. And of course, this really depends on ages. The younger that, you know, if your child's like a toddler, they're really going to not get it. If your child is in that parenting stage of like six to 12, I think that's a particularly difficult age. And it also depends on how long you've been separated from 
the child's other parent, right? Because if it's new, your child's going to have a fantasy that you guys are getting back together. If it's been years and years, you know, your child may just want you to be happy. I do think there's damage if you just keep introducing new people, right? It creates an unstable feeling in the child and you don't, you don't want to be that person who has somebody parading in and out. So I think you just have to be like super prepared for either scenario. For me, it personally, it was, it was too hard because Pascal latched onto that person as a father. I, actually, I'm full of shit because in both scenarios when, okay, so like, for example, I was together with this guy that I thought was amazing, of course. And it turns out the, and we got engaged and the minute we got engaged, it turns out that he was like a narcissist. And I don't mean the pop culture, like thinks too much about himself. I'm talking about the actual personality disorder. Um, I don't know if you've ever dealt with a narcissist, but they will fuck you up. It's horrible. You guys know me. I'm like a strong minded. I was crying every day. I didn't know which way the wind was blowing. They really mess with your head. And I was petrified of like, Pascal got really attached to him and was super excited about a wedding and super excited to have a dad. And it was all really cool. And so I was really afraid that factored into the breakup, right? And as much as I know this from all my training, from all my work, you don't stay with somebody for the sake of the children. It just, it's not healthy. Um, I did. And then when finally I was like, oh my God, I can't, I'm going crazy. I have to end this. And I when it came to my attention that he was a true narcissist, uh, the advice when you're dealing with a narcissist is run as fast as you can. If you can obliterate all ties, you definitely want to. So I was like, okay, I got to do this. And Pascal literally was like, oh, I was really looking forward to having wedding cake. Like that was his reply. So I thought he had gotten super attached to this guy and he was like super attached to wedding cake. So, you know, who knew? I do think that it just depends on your situation. And again, like for me, I'm just not that person. I, it's, I'm busy anyway. I don't date a whole lot, but if I'm going to introduce somebody to Pascal, I want to make sure that it's, it's got some legs. So that would be my advice is don't bring somebody around just casually. I do think there's an interesting component, especially now that Pascal's a teenager, there's this very interesting component of him getting to see me date Or at least he gets to see how I break up with somebody, which I think is really interesting. You know, most people are are married and like your child goes into their teen years starting to date and they actually have no one modeling that for them, which is a really funny thing about our lives, right? And so it is interesting. uh, Two years ago, I was dating somebody very, very seriously. Well, we were in a relationship and Pascal really liked him and and then I had to, when I had to break up with him, it was really interesting getting to discuss that with Pascal because, you know, when your boundaries are not being respected or how to handle respect for yourself and when you feel like it's enough. So I thought that was just a really interesting component. Uh, so that's my non answer. <laughs> it just really depends on your situation. And you have to kind of gauge at like, how old's my kid? How are they going to handle this? Is it long term? Those kinds of things. I would say, again, the only thing I think you shouldn't do is like introduce somebody for like the second date, you know, make sure the relationship's got legs. All right, next question. I have a couple of questions that are somewhat connected. I'm sure you've covered this, but I can't seem to figure it out. How can I, or is it age appropriate to encourage independent play for my son who's three years old next week? I'm just even asking for 10 minutes or so. 
In addition to that, many times when he finds himself alone, he can't see me or can't see me. He says, oh no, scared. He will periodically say that he's scared of certain things like a big tree or a shadow or just plain scared. It's clear that it's just for show sometimes. Other times it's hard to tell. I always tell him you're safe and I ask why he's scared. He can never articulate that part to me. I just want to make sure I'm giving it the proper attention or lack of attention, if that makes sense. Okay, so encouraging independent play in kids under five years old. So I go through this in, oh crap, I have a toddler, right? It's the connection. So when we're looking for like filling their connection bucket, we want to make sure that they get some like concentrated time from us, but then we also want to encourage independent play. And so a large part of that is like starting off setting a timer. So you want to, you know, say, okay, John, you got to play by yourself for 10 minutes and I'm going to do my work, whatever that is. And that's when I tell parents, you can even be on your phone. If that's when you want to scroll Facebook, you can call it quote unquote work, but you want to be clear that like I'm setting a timer and this is the time I need you to play by yourself. Now they can play right. Like he doesn't have to be separate from you. He can be just, you know, I would start with him being next to you, but doing something by himself. So he could be playing Play-Doh while you're working on the computer, doing two separate activities. So that's how you would start that. As far as the scared, so I talk about this a lot with potty training, like scared and hurt are two hot buttons for kids because they know that those two words are going to make you stop. So my instinct in this situation that you're talking about is to not give it a whole lot of attention. I would validate what he's saying only in the sense of you don't want to invalidate. So you don't want to say, oh, you're not scared of that. That's just a tree. That's invalidating. But you want to say, wow, that tree is big and and the branches look kind of craggly. You want to put other words to it. Because a lot of times scared is just a default word of like, I don't really know what else to say. Or it might be some sort of level of scared, but it's not scared, scared, you know? Or if it's the shadow, you you know, you could say, yeah, I see that shadow too. It's it's big, huh? Let's, you know, you might um, expand on the shadow, you know, if it's his shadow or a shadow of something and you might put your shadow onto it, you know what I mean? Play with the shadow a little. So anytime a kid says, I'm scared, you can reflect back. So in potty training, for example, when a child says, I'm scared, it's very rare that they're scared. It's more like we they don't have the language for it. So what I always recommend is say, oh, I know that feels very different when you poop in the potty. You know, it's very common for a kid to say, I'm scared of pooping. It's, it's new. It's different. It's weird. So expand their language. Yeah. So that's what I would do with your son is I would say, you know, that tree is really big and it feels almost like it's coming down on us. Wow. You know, but not in a scared tone, of course. Um, I do like how you're saying you're safe, you're safe and just moving on. I think though, like you said, if you give it too much credit, like give, that's one of those things that we have going on right now. We have this weird thing where parents are over-validating some feelings and then then rushing to invalidate certain feelings. And what I mean by that is like your child has a reaction. Let's say even in this case, you know, I'm scared. Oh my goodness, what are you scared of? Oh, well, let's move away from that tree if it's very scary for you. That's over-validating a sort of like 
inconsequential thing, you know what I mean? And then other times your child's like having a reaction, like daddy left for work and the child's super sad and the parents rush to fix it. And that rush to fix is actually invalidating. So I would do exactly what you're doing. You're safe and then move on. Um, if a child's really scared, they're gonna, they're gonna show it. Do you know what I mean? They're gonna be clingy. They're gonna be, um, they'll show, they'll show scared. Side note, I don't know why this made me think of it. Maybe because like scared and then Halloween's coming up. But Pascal was about, I want to say four or five. And we had this local park that had, you know, like a little petting zoo. It was a total kitty toddler park. And so they had a haunted house. And I assumed because it was this like kitty park that it would be this like kitty level haunted house. And Pascal was like, you know, they, they do that thing where they, they want to be scared, but then they don't. And so he was like, mommy, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? And I was like, yeah, totally. You guys, it was not a kitty version of a haunted house. And we got in and there was like a jump scare. Somebody jumped out. I literally saw Pascal's soul leave his body. He, you know, he jumped up into my arms. I didn't even have to use my arms to hold him. He was like clinging to me. I had to put his his um, head in my shoulder to just run out of this thing. And so all by way of saying <laughs> that was scared. He didn't even have to say he was scared. So, you know, when your child's actually scared, you're going to know it. Other than that, like you said, it's for show. And I would, you know, there's some like attention that's needed in the moment, but nothing super, super big. All right. Next question. Toddler regression when a new sibling arrives. Our older daughter, who is three, has stopped dressing herself morning and night and instead makes my husband and I dress her like a baby lying down. She used to dress herself in entirety, including putting on buttons, jackets, gloves, etc. She has a lot of changes this year with a house move, new baby in the family, new childcare situation, and then, you know, a global pandemic. So I'm counting us all lucky that she's not regressed seriously on the potty training front or in other areas. Should we keep indulging her this one baby behavior while she adjusts to all this change, or should I be pushing her back to do it herself? Second, more of a comment really, but the sharp knife tip has worked wonders and now she wants to plan menus and help cook. Quite extraordinary. By the way, this is the same toddler referenced above. Okay. In this particular scenario, particularly because you said it's just this one behavior, she's being pretty clear. She's saying like a baby and she's planning menus and helping you cook in other areas, I would say indulge this baby behavior. I don't think she's having a huge regression. I think she's found one area that she wants to be treated like the new baby's being treated. And she's being very clear about that. And when our children are this clear and it's, I call it, you know, no skin off our teeth, I feel like, wow, this, give them what they're asking for. You know, she's got a clarity that's almost kind of freaky for her age, which is super cool. The big thing about having a baby, there are other couple of factors too. Like you guys, I've been saying this every podcast, we cannot underestimate the freaking pandemic and what, you know, how it made our kids anxious, how it creates. Um, and especially now that we're going sort of back to real life, back to school, we just, we don't even know. I, I hesitate to say it created anxiety, it just created something. So, but we do have to factor it in. She's got a new childcare situation, a house move, a new sibling. These are all super huge transitions. So I think she's doing stellar. But even if it were just the new sibling, like, 
you got to understand what it looks like from a toddler's point of view. It's crazy. This little thing, like here you are three years old, you're working on all these massive skills, right? You're like potty training, dressing yourself. You're this big kid. You've worked really hard. And along comes this like seven and a half pound lump that does nothing but cry and poop and eat. And it gets all the love. It gets all the attention. Everybody's cooing on this thing. And you're like, hey, what about me? (laughs) So like when we take it from the toddler's eyes, it's, you can see how crazy it is. And so the regression of wanting to be like a baby is so natural. Now, normally what I say, and I say this in, um, oh crap, potty training, is it's really great to give the child some, I call it baby love. And uh, years ago when I was in social work, a autistic little boy did this and it was so cute. He was, he was, he called it baby love and he needed like 30 seconds to be a baby. And then he was fine. Pascal personally changed it to mama love. He called it, I need mama love. And that was like a cue to, you know, take him into my arms, hold him as much as a baby like I could, you know, hold his face like I was talking to the baby and use, you know, this voice. And it was like, seriously, 30 seconds. And then he was off and running and he just needed to know that he was still my baby. And so that's what I think your daughter's going through. If you wanted to, you could say, okay, here, you put on one sock and I'll put on the other sock. You could do this like sort of help me along. But honestly, again, because she's being so super clear about what she needs, I feel like, and it's that one area, I think it's fine to indulge her. I think another component, and I say this like when a child's hurt or when they, it's so clear to you that they need this sort of focused attention. I also believe in leaning into it. So when you dress her, you might be like, oh, we're going to put on your socks and then we're going to put on your pants. You know, you can super lean into it. So she gets this like baby experience and she'll probably start laughing, but um, you can exaggerate it too. And that it, it adds a different component to it. All right. Next question. Any advice on getting my two and a half year old to stay at the table and eat at meals? I've tried coloring books, toy cars, and prefer not to have screens at the table. As a fellow trail runner, ultra marathoner, I appreciate that my kid doesn't like to sit still and is always exploring or playing, but I need my tiny child to eat. Thank you. All right. This is huge. And this is something I've worked with a couple of clients with more recently. And I'm telling you guys right now, this also verges on picky eaters. If your child is not sitting, if they're not eating, stop snacks. Stop snacks. Go back to three meals. It worked for centuries and centuries. (laughs) Three meals. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no snacks. They will be hungry and they will eat. And I know this for a fact because I have, you know, I work with real life families and this one trick has solved so many issues. It's ridiculous. So that's number one, stop snacking. And people go, oh, but, 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 but no, your, your child does not need to eat all day. You're creating a bad habit. None of us need to eat all day, three meals a day, and your child will eat so much better. This goes back to how I learned this myself is my son went to sleepaway camp. I talk about this all the time. My son went to sleepaway camp and the food there was really, really, really awful. I know this for a fact. And he was like, mommy, the food is so delicious. It's so good. It's so good. And I go to pick him up and I spend the the last day with him and he, (laughs) I get it. It's a dining hall. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There are no snacks. 
no snacks. So he's out running around all day playing. And so when he sits down for lunch, he's eating whatever is put in front of him. So I'm telling you right now, no snacks. (laughs) I can't, I can't reiterate it enough. Now, another thing is that Food is a little bit like circadian rhythms. Yeah. So you could, the timing could be off. But what I have found in most cases, particularly for dinner, and I talk about this all the time. So this isn't news for anybody. It goes something like this they get home from preschool or whatever. They have somewhere at like a three or four o'clock snack. Then you expect them to sit down for dinner at 6 30 and they're all wiggly and they can't do it. I don't think, to be honest, for this mom, I wouldn't, coloring books and toy cars are just distraction. The the table is for eating. Like when you sit down to dinner, you're eating or you're not. You know, the other thing is the child can be excused, but then they, you know, they have to come back. They don't get something else later on. So there's all, I'm a little hardcore about food. I'm a little old school. And I think that it is, I think it's okay. I don't think it's okay to make a child sit, but I think it's okay if a child misses a meal and some people will freak out on that. But if the child's not hungry to make them sit and make your dinner time miserable is awful. So it could just be that they're not hungry, but I can guarantee that they'll be hungry if they're not snacking. So we kind of go back to that. (laughs) So that's definitely what I would try first. Another question here. I would love a discussion about your thoughts on what I've heard referred to as inconsequential behavior. The idea that we should just ignore things that don't cause physical harm or endangerment because giving attention reinforces the behavior. This is funny because we just talked about this with... um with the I'm scared, right? I understand that kids will do anything for attention. However, I find it hard to ignore so-called inconsequential behavior that involves my five-year-old saying repeatedly he's going to kill or shoot his younger siblings. Even on a lighter note, some days I just can't handle any more poop, poop, pee, pee, fart, fart talk. What are your thoughts on intervening for these less than horrific behavior situations? This is a great question. Inconsequential behavior is, I think, that's a loose term, right? Because inconsequential behavior is based on your values. And so I always say this, I use this example, which is extreme. You know, if a child throws a matchbox car at your head, a lot of parents would be like flipping through the roof. You almost hurt me. That's disrespectful. There could be though a parent who's like, oh my God, look at that throwing arm. Let's go outside and practice baseball. You're going to be the next picture for the Yankees. Now that's a that's sort of a, a funny extreme example, but it's all by way of saying what are your values? So inconsequential behavior isn't standard. There's not a standard. I will say for sure, for me, I'm gonna kill or shoot younger siblings. Uh, that's not inconsequential for me. I would say it of course it all depends. You know, if he's got his finger shaped like a gun and he's like, pew, pew, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot you, and it's sort of in passing. You know, if you draw attention to it, he's obviously going to make it a bigger deal. But if he's actually like, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to shoot you, that's something different. So I think there's flavors to this. You know what I mean? I just, I don't like, I'm going to kill you, you know, unless there's, it's, it's like they're super engaged in some sort of, you know, game where, I don't know, it's, it's just part of the game and it's like, um, I'm struggling for words here, but you you would be able to tell if it's just a flyby, you know, like I've seen kids with sticks and they're like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to kill you. But it's not, it's not like a targeted thing. If he's repeatedly saying, I'm going to kill or shoot your, the younger siblings because he's angry or something like that, I'd be like, dude, no, you have to go to your room for a few minutes. We don't say that. The poop, poop, pee, pee, fart, fart is a tale as old as time. 
People ask me constantly about potty talk. That is one that if you pay attention to it, they're just going to do it. It's their version. They know it aggravates you, right? They think it's hilarious. And the more it aggravates you, the more hilarious it gets. I will say that Pascal never talked potty talk, which I think is really significant because he heard me talk about it all day long. So this being my job, it's like it it wasn't a trigger for him. It was like, oh, whatever. It's poop, poop, pee, pee, fart, fart. You know, if you lean into it, maybe it'll stop. Maybe it won't have power. But that is, that's exactly like if you're, when your kid says fire fuck and everybody laughs and it gets attention and then your kid's like, fuck, 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 because it got everybody's attention. I think they're just two wildly different examples that you gave. I think you have every right in your house. Inconsequential behavior is not going to be the same for everybody. So you have the right to your value system. This is a situation where I would choose the hill you're going to die on. So for me, I would die on the hill of kill and shoot your younger siblings. I wouldn't die on the hill of poop, poop, pee, pee, fart, fart. If you give everything, if you 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 could risk being over-controlling, I think is what I'm trying to say. If everything that comes out of your kid's mouth, you're trying to micromanage, then you're definitely going to get rebellion. So I would pick and choose what you think is inconsequential behavior. Yeah. You know, you, you, you specifically said ignore things that don't call physical harm or endangerment, but there's a lot, words cause harm. You know what I mean? Like there's not just It's not just that we only take care of physical harm or endangering behavior. I think there are, there are words that can cause harm too. So it's one of those, the killer shoot is a really funny thing because I see parents overreact with that, especially in the climate we're in, of course, with school shootings. But I can tell you right now that if you abolish all guns, all weapons, all talk, your kid's going to rebel. It's kind of crazy in that sense. They're go- it's going to become this golden nugget that they can't wait to have. So that's a pretty, um, it's a tough one, right? But if it's, I feel like if it's said, when you see kids running in the park with sticks and they're just, they're playing some sort of cops and robber, bad guy, good guy, that's that play is necessary and also very, very old. And kids have to think in black or white and they have to think in these terms of like, the bad guy must be killed, right? The bad guy, there's no gray area for them at this age. So if it's like in this play and you're kind of seeing it in the background, I would say that's inconsequential behavior. But if it's targeted, I think that's not inconsequential. So I hope that answers your question. (laughs) Long, long roundabout way. All right. And I'm saving the last question is a longish question. And I think it's a really important one. So it's about toxic spewing family members on this mama asked, COVID is really bringing out all the narcissists in my world these days, lots of controlling and toxic, hateful kind of behavior. In particular, my sister-in-law is on a roll and it's mainly projected at my side of the family, most notably me. This is not news or out of the blue, but it's freaking annoying. I do my best When I just don't have to see them, but this time of year, we have so many family obligations and I'm really not feeling it. I've spent my whole life doing image management and pretending everything is just peachy with this fam. This BS she's spewing and how I'm triggered really isn't in my wheelhouse anymore, or at least I don't want it to be. It's something in my past, in old patterns and learned behavior and self-doubt. I am dying to demonstrate healthy, clean, emotional exchanges and firm boundaries for my kids, but I'm confused by this one and how to set those without being grudgy or polarizing. 
on one hand, I'm totally on board to not go. I'm even in a place with both my parents that I can trust they support and respect any of these boundaries I set here. But then my five-year-old daughter says how excited she is to attend her cousin's birthday party. I'm confused back at square one on not going. We have always encouraged her and my son to be close to her cousins. How do I explain this stuff to my five-year-old without talking badly about her aunt? I'm not taking that low, resentful road. Instead, I want to model compassion, self-respect, and clear thinking. But how would I answer, why aren't we going to George's birthday party? What's the age-appropriate, five years old, and non-grudgy communication about boundaries and conflict with other family members and adults? How important is cousin bonding when the parents just aren't on the same page? Okay, so this is a big one. And some of this might be just my, you know, my personal opinion, not just my expert opinion. I think as parents, we are the gateway to our children. So I don't believe in keeping relationships between children when the parents aren't feeling it. Unless of course, you know, it's a, like a, a, a half, half brother, stepbrother situation, that kind of thing where like the kids were super connected in the same house and now something happened and they're not in the same house. That might be a different scenario. But when it comes to toxic family members, I think you have every right to cut communication. And I don't think you have to foster a bond between the children. I will use a super personal example here. I have always thought, I never understood the throughout my life meeting people who would say, you know, oh, I just, I don't talk to my mother or I don't talk to my brother, you know, we're done. And I always thought, wow, how do you do that? Like, I'm a super loyal person. I'm a super loyal family person. And then things between my sister and I got so toxic that I had to stop talking to her for five years. And she wanted to, the, the kids were like four, Pascal's right in the middle of her kids. So her kids were like four, let's say Pascal was five and and then her oldest was six. And she wanted them to communicate at that age. I I wouldn't have it. Um, It felt very weird to force a relationship when the the parents are the bridge at that age, right? It's not like now Pascal's a teenager, her kids are teenagers. And, you know, if they want to be in contact, and we are in contact again. If they want to have a relationship, they can manage that on their own. But if your child can't manage a relationship on their own without you, then you get to be the gatekeeper. And toxic family members, it was the best thing I did for my mental health because toxic family members, we get locked into thinking we have to we have to appease them. And it sounds like, it sounds like to me, like your husband's on your side and it sounds like your parents are on your side, which means that this person's obviously toxic. You know, I always like to check in with myself. Like, am I overreacting? Am I just being a bitch in this situation? Is this me? What am I contributing to it? And then sometimes I go, not this person's just toxic. And maybe I am contributing to it. Maybe it's just our relationship, but it's toxic. It doesn't, it doesn't take care of the toxicity of the situation. Now, I think there is some in-between things, like you don't necessarily have to cut everything off. Like, is it possible that you go to George's party, but you don't go to other events? Like, can you go to some of them and avoid your sister-in-law and the kids play and like, you know, you know, you have to put up with her for like two hours and, and you can do that. 
Or do you just really not want to go to anything? I think five years old is plenty old enough to, well, number one is how to, in this case, it sounds like your daughter already knows about George's birthday party. So in that case, that would be hard to get out of. But in the future, why does she have to know about George's birthday party? You know what I mean? And you can say, you know what, honey? Oh, we we have to do something else on his birthday party. I mean, you can make something up. Dude, I used to tell Pascal that McDonald's was closed on Monday. It wasn't even Monday. And obviously McDonald's doesn't close. Like you can make something up, right? Like um, we have something else to do or, you know, we can't go to his party this time. Well, maybe we'll go next time. You could do something like that. But I do think it's never too early to say, you know what? I think you can say just what it is. Auntie is not speaking to me in a kind manner and I don't really want to be around her. So you're allowed to say that, but I also, it doesn't have to come out of the blue. So for, again, I'll just use a personal example. I do not like drinking to the point of drunk. I grew up in an alcoholic household. I do not like it. And so we go to any party, any family gathering. My family drinks a lot. And there's a moment where I know it's starting to turn where everybody's had too much. They start repeating themselves. There's going to be tears. There's going to be all of a sudden people have balls to, to bring up shit that they need to bring up. Then they can't do it sober. I don't like it. So, and I've told Pascal ever since he was little, no, no, no. Everybody's starting to drink. They're getting drunk. And I don't like that behavior. They start behaving badly and we're going to leave to the point that at like six or seven, he could say, hey, mom, it's time to go <laughs> because he could sense when things were taking a turn. So I don't think it's ever too young to talk about something like that, like why we're leaving, why we're not going. Now, it might be a little bit trickier for you in this scenario. Like, I don't want to go to George's birthday party because auntie's being auntie's being pretty mean to me and it makes me feel bad. And so I don't want to go. Is it possible that your daughter could go with your grandparents? You know, like, are there other situations? So I feel like the nugget of your question is asking if it's okay to separate from this woman. And I could be wrong and you can write me further on this. And in that case, yes, I think it's okay. And I would just you know, gloss over things with your, with your kids. Kids have no sense of time. So it's not like she's going to be like, wait, why aren't we at George's or, you know, or why aren't we doing this holiday at auntie's house? And you could say, you know what, we're just trying to create our own family tradition with this holiday. Or I feel like it's very easy that you could, you could kind of gloss over it without necessarily bringing up all this stuff, but you have, I think it's okay On the flip side, for you to also say, auntie is just treating me really badly. And so I don't want to be a part of that. I'm just taking a break for a couple of months. We're not going to do anything with them because I want to be around people who love me and who treat me kindly. And I think that's a very simple way to let your five-year-old know that I'm not grudging you know, I'm not being a bitch about it. And that's the thing is just don't talk about your sister-in-law in in a bad way. You know, like I think auntie's having a hard time. I don't know what she's going through, but the only problem is she's treating me badly and I don't want that. And I think that is a magnificent way to mirror healthy boundaries and clear intentions with your five-year-old. So again, I feel like that's a little convoluted. (laughs) I feel like there's so many ways you could go with this, but it really depends, I think, on you know, do you want to have any contact? Can you have some contact? Or if you want to break contact, it's always okay to say, we're taking a break right now. 
Um, hopefully, you know, auntie can treat me better next time we go, but we'll see. I'm, I'm willing to hope that she can treat me better, but right now it feels really bad that she treats me unkindly. And so I'd like to just stay home. All right. Okay, you guys. So that's, you asked for it. If you guys have any questions, of course, I love, 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 love you for supporting me on Patreon and being a patron. And I will happily answer questions. It's looking like we get enough questions for probably once a month to do these. You asked for it. So feel free to dialogue with me on Patreon and ask your questions. All right, you guys rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book pre-sale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.